What do eight bags of concrete mix, a cooler full of 30-pound sea bass, and a 10-inch compound miter saw have in common? They're all things that are easier to load in and out of the bed of the new F-150. Thanks to its new available pro-access tailgate, that's also a swing gate. The new 2024 Ford F-150, tough this smart, can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024, pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024, cargo and load capacity limited by weight and weight distribution. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the latest edition of Circling the Bases. I'm DJ Short, and I'm joined here once again by Scott Pianowski from Yahoo. We are live on Twitch right now, so welcome to our audience there. And if you are listening in podcast form, we're watching later on YouTube. We're recording on Monday afternoon, coming off a weekend of interesting news and developments around spring training, but also a heck of a lot of World Baseball Classic action uh, Scott, have you been able to check any of it out? I know there's a ton going on in sports right now. NFL free agency opening on Tuesday, which is going to be crazy. Uh, March Madness, all that. But uh, World Baseball Classic has been pretty cool, too. Yeah, I've been watching it where I can. And as you said, it's a super congested part of the sports calendar. I just yep. filed a, a Cinderella piece that's going to go on Yahoo Sports for the NCAA tournament, which is something I dipped my toes into. So... I was watching golf this weekend, the Players' Championship. I was watching baseball. I was watching a lot of basketball. And, uh, and of course, I'm doing baseball drafts, which is, which is a blast. I'm starting to get some of these players that we're talking about. The key is for me to draft them before I tell other people to draft them because then I'll get in like, my hometown draft and I'll have no chance of getting the guys I talk about. Right. Because my annoying friends will listen to these shows and like, oh, okay, I, I'll yeah. snipe Scott on that guy. But um, right. it's a great time of year. This, I, I feel like September and March are the two times, of, especially the sporting yeah. year, where everything just collides, where everything's yes. going on at the same time. You know, the NBA and NHL playoffs are not far away. We had a really exciting NHL trade deadline. I, mean, I feel like we could talk about any sport right now. And it'd be, oh, yeah, there's so much to talk about. But um, a, lot, a lot of baseball to talk about. I have not watched as much of the World Baseball Classic as I'd like, but every – 10 seconds on Twitter, it feels like somebody's showing me a really cool highlight. It's just, yes. it's just fun. It's baseball for years. This was a sleeping giant where they could have done something like this. They didn't have like a world cup for baseball. Now they have it and you can just see the passion. And it's just some of the lineups are just so loaded. The Dominican Republic team. I, it's, it's a blast. And the players care about it so much. Um, we, we knew this, this was a long time coming. I feel like they were 20 years behind getting this kick started, but what a fun event. It has been super fun, and it's on all day too, which I think is also fun. Any time of the day, you could, you know, put a game on, which I love, uh, even if I'm not paying super close attention. But to have it on in the background uh, has been super cool. Uh, Team USA uh, took it to Great Britain on Saturday. They lost to Mexico on Sunday, uh, which I think showed uh, for the U.S. Whereas the lineup is super deep and awesome like you know like you were just saying with the dominican republic 
but the Team USA pitching staff is not good. I mean, <laughs> these other these other teams have their studs all lined up. Julio Urias on Mexico, Sandy Alcantara with Dominican Republic, on and on. Otani, uh, Darvish on Japan, but Team USA just that while the lineup's great, pitching is definitely their vulnerability, and I, I think that kind of speaks to like it's it's weird that so many hitters committed but pitchers did not from team USA, you know, DeGrom obviously makes sense, but like Shane Bieber, uh, Dylan Cease, like Zach Allen, like these guys are healthy. You know, why, why aren't they there? I guess is the question. Right. And, and pitching being the great equalizer, like you think in hockey, you can be outgunned by an opposing roster, but if your goalie gets hot, he can just stand on his head and win the game on his own. And that's certainly what pitching can do in baseball. And, Man, I, you know, I also wonder, like a lot of times America doesn't win the Ryder Cup in golf. I mean, in the cases, maybe just the Europeans care about it more. I, I wonder mm-hmm. if maybe, and, and I look, this is a ton of national pride in America for baseball. That's not a problem. But I just wonder if maybe it's like the America would like to win, but some of these other countries feel like they have to win. Right. Right. Yeah. Actually, Brandon Nimmo was asked about over the weekend you know, why he didn't choose to join Team USA. And he was like, well, you know, my, he was like, maybe this makes me a bad person, but like, I want to win a World Series. Like, that's, you know, what I'm here to do. And of course, he got that $162 million contract from the Mets. So they invested heavily in him. So he said, you know, my focus right now is just all Mets. It's to win a World Series. And like, I can't, I can't fault him for that. Can't fault him for that decision. So yeah, everyone has different motivations at play. And uh, obviously pitching as risky as it can be to your body, you can understand why some of those guys opted out. But it's it's interesting to see, you know, who cares more than the other. Another thing I really enjoy is seeing if there's like a home run or something like that. These players are like jumping out of the dugout <laughs> to, uh, you know, celebrate, uh, you know, coming back to the dugout. Like I wouldn't mind seeing that during the regular season here and there. Why not? Yeah, I mean, joy is a good thing, right? Some of these celebrations, it's also just cool to see how the players interact with each other. Just, I, I, I'm, body language has always been fascinating to me. I, I remember a couple of years ago, I went to a Tigers game and Miguel Cabrera had been on the DL for a while, or it was still called the DL back then. Comes off the DL, he's playing first base. And we had really good seats. We're five or six rows behind the dugout. And I watched the whole game Cabrera just like getting silly with the umpires and everybody who's on first base. You know, you, you, you talk about first base. It's always like the social position. You're like the mayor over there. Mm-hmm. You talk to everybody. And to me, I could have watched that for 10 hours. You just, just Miggy yeah. having fun, you know, slap doing fake tags and, and just you know, have, having a good time being back on a baseball field. And yeah. I'm always curious when you, when you get all-star games or all-star tournaments, I'm always curious who gets to wear their preferred number, uh, what's the hierarchy of the of the stars? Who gets the preferred batting slot? You know who seems to be close and stuff like that. I'm always looking at that. I'm like a doctor of body language, and and it's just <laughs> I don't know. That, to me, that's fascinating part of this. It's just you know seeing who um, who's good friends or you know again who who ha- who takes precedence, who whose number usurps somebody else's number, who gets who gets to keep their batting slot, stuff like that. That's the, the little things that keep me occupied when I watch these things. Well, the World Baseball Classic will definitely keep us occupied all the way to the end of spring training leading up to opening day. I just wanted to point out this one quote um, from the Team Australia manager, Dave Nielsen, uh, after they played Japan and uh, got beat 
on, I believe this was on Saturday. He was asked, what was the turning point of the game? And he said, I think the turning point was when Otani hit that ball about 500 feet in the first inning. <laughs> I love that. That's great. I watched, I watched that swing. I watched that home run I, 20 times. Somebody mm-hmm. put it in, into my Twitter timeline. And it's that, it's that crazy thing where why are left-handed swings so much more visually appealing than right-handed swings? And I've seen people say, well, wait a minute. This is what Aaron Judge's swing would look like if it was left-handed. And it would look gorgeous, you know. But yeah. <laughs> that said, they had the view, you know, kind of like the dugout cam view of Otani hitting that home run. And, and, and the crowd just going crazy the moment oh, yeah. he connects. And you just see the ball, you know skyrocketing out of the screen and the perfect extension, the perfect follow through, you know, Otani, right. The problem with baseball, right. One of the problems has been like guys like Mike Trout and Otani, as great as they are, they haven't had a stage. They haven't had a playoffs. Mike Mike Trout's sitting on three playoff games for his career, no fault of his own. And Otani's inherited that problem too. So it's just so great that he he gets a stage like this. We know how crazy uh, Japan is for baseball. You know, they're just so passionate about it. And yeah. it, it just, I don't know. I, I watched that over and over on a loop, man. And I, I don't want to take him away from the Angels already. I, I know that story has a long way to run, but I, I just <clears> wonder <throat> what would he be like on the Dodgers or on the on the Mets or on the Yankees? I, I don't know. I, it's just Anaheim will always feel like a small market to me. I know they call themselves the Los Angeles Angels, but let's, let's face it. They play in Anaheim. I just feel like this guy, and I, don't, I don't want to take, I would like baseball to have more balance in some of the smaller markets, and I realize there's a lot that goes into that, but I can't lie. I think I think Otani playing for the Dodgers would actually be really cool, and I'm not a Dodgers fan at all. I'm, I'm really curious to see where his story goes in the next 12 months. Yep, and you know, speaking of the big stage, I mean, I do think Japan has what it takes to win this tournament. You know, you're still a long way to go, but I think they're the best team. Uh, Okay, we're going to get into some headlines from the weekend. And then uh, the main focus of this show uh, is to talk about some of our favorite late round average draft position targets. These are all players after the top 250 uh, as far as as average draft position on NFBC. So we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, But first, uh, just a quick word for our listeners. New MLB season, new rules, new stars. So pair it with the Roto-World Baseball Draft Guide. Get all the player profiles, rankings, and projections you need to hit your draft out of the park. Go to NBCSportsEdge.com slash draft guide and use Pennant25 to save 25% at checkout. Also remember to do your drafts on Yahoo. Right, Scott? Absolutely. (laughs) All right. So uh, we're going to start out with two extensions over the weekend, which are interesting. Uh, So Corbin Carroll, the Diamondbacks were able to work out an extension with Carroll uh, you know, essentially buying all of his uh, arbitration seasons. So eight years, $111 million, um, not even arbitration eligible yet. Of course, he was just only up for a brief time last year, uh, which is now the new record, $111 million, the largest extension uh, ever for a player with less than 100 days of service time. And, you know, I think this tells us that the Diamondbacks expect Carroll to be this superstar that, you know, many are already pegging him to be in fantasy leagues. Yeah, I mean, I, he's eventually, I think, going to be a 30-30 guy. And he's got that ridiculous sprint speed. It's just a matter of how much does he want to run and, and how skilled is he at the craft of running. I Arizona is not a bad team. They're not going to win the yeah. NL West because there's just you know, the, the Padres are loaded. And the Dodgers, although maybe the lineup isn't quite as good, it's still pretty darn good. And they have a really deep pitching staff. The Giants have a decent roster. But... I think Arizona is going to be a competitive team, and there are players on this offense I want. I've drafted Jake McCarthy. I've, I've drafted Walker. The problem with Carroll is he's just such a glitteringly obvious 
Buzzy Peck. He, he's it. Everybody knows Corbin Carroll, and there's kind of yep. like a race a lot of times in leagues, especially smarter leagues. They want to plant the flag. They want to be the guy who drafts Corbin Carroll, and now you know, he signs his extension, which just gives him a little bit more of a little lean around him. But mm-hmm. I think he's going to be great right away. I and and you know one other thing about the contract. A lot of people get frustrated when players do that. When younger players do this, they buy out their arbitration years and say, well, you left all this money on the table. And, you know, if you're great, you're going to make a lot more than that. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying yes to the first fortune. And if you're really good and if Corbin Carroll outperforms this contract, he'll still be young enough to sign a gigantic contract in the middle of his career. You know, I I don't think I know the Braves have done this with a bunch of their players and people say, well, you know, maybe the player left money on the table. Well, now he doesn't, you know, I don't know anything about Corbin Carroll personally, but now he doesn't have to wait to do anything that this contract would allow. You know, if he wants to buy a new house or set up his family or just live a a certain lifestyle that he couldn't live you know, at at the major league minimum or whatever, he can do that. And I don't know, there's something to be said for living your life right now. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I I think we remember several years ago, the Phillies signed Scott Kingery Kingery, to John yeah. Singleton too, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, to these extensions, and they there was a lot of criticism about those players at the time for you know signing those deals during a time when there was a lot more manipulation with service time and that sort of thing. And we've seen how their careers have panned out. I mean, as as good as Carroll is, I think he's more of a can't miss than those guys. But like, you just never know. Like baseball is extremely hard. You never know. So I I'm not going to judge. Um, so yeah, I think I think it. And he's only 22. So like you were saying. You know, 30 years old, he'll get another shot. Assuming he turns out to be the superstar, many think he will be. So um, pretty cool to see that happen. And the other one here, Kbert Ruiz, uh, with the Nationals, eight years, 50 million, with club options for 2031 and 2032. Yeah, we're already talking 2030s with these contracts. Um, but Kbert Ruiz, of course, came over to the Nationals in that big Max Scherzer, Trey Turner trade two summers ago. Uh, he was kind of one of the centerpieces there with Josiah Gray. Ruiz last year wasn't, you know, amazing by any means at 251, seven homers, 36 RBIs, 673 OPS. But uh, we talked about him during our catcher episode. There's certainly some upside here. You can see it with Ruiz, switch hitting catcher, struck out just 11.5% of the time uh, last season, fifth lowest among all players with at least 400 plate appearances. Had a 277 XBA uh, expected batting average on baseball savant. Line drive rate was solid. Like you can see this coming together for him. And you also have to think, you know, he's a switch hitting catcher. So there's like two different swings he has to manage. Managing a pitching staff at the Nationals last year, which is which is terrible. I mean, that's a lot to put on a rookie. I still think we haven't seen anything close to what Ruiz is capable of. Yeah, of all the offensive positions, I always feel like catcher is the one we have to take the most patient approach towards development because, as you said, it's the most overwhelming defensive position. And a lot of times when these young catchers come up, they'll say, look, just take care of the defense. The offense will come when it comes. And Ruiz, you you talked about his profile. It's so much different than most catchers or just most hitters in general. This is a guy who, who walks a lot. This is a guy who puts the ball in play almost all the time. He's got a very low strikeout rate. He's not afraid to steal a base, which is a rarity among catchers. He's a switch hitting catcher, which is a very valuable and rare commodity. This is a, He's going to be a very good player, if not maybe an all-star eventually. It's just a matter of you just get to give extra development time. It's like in hockey, we always talk about the bigger defensemen need more time to develop. I always feel like catchers – Let's, and look, I, I get it. Like Adley Rutschman came up, and he was you know, after like a couple of weeks of struggling, he was really good right away. But yeah. 
th that's the, the exception. These guys need development yeah. time. And the fact that Ruiz wasn't great right away after the trade, that's to be expected. I think he has an excellent chance to outkick his ADP. And, and it, with a, again, with a profile that is very unusual for the position and even just unusual for the shape of baseball in today's game. So his ADP in March so far is 183.32. Uh, right before Travis Darno and another rookie, Gabriel Moreno. Uh, Rui's not a rookie at this point, but Moreno, another young player with a kind of a similar profile, actually makes a lot of contact. Uh, and Ruiz is going right after Danny Jansen, Cal Raleigh, Tyler Stevenson, guys like that. So right on the fringe of the top 12 catchers, he's probably going to be drafted in most standard mixed leagues, but just know there's more in there somewhere. Uh, so if you're waiting on a catcher, maybe not the worst thing in the world. So let's get into some more headlines here. I want to start with Jordan Walker. So it was Saturday that he dove headfirst into second base, kind of stayed there on the ground for a couple of minutes. Turned out he was diagnosed with a right shoulder strain, which sounded scary initially. You're thinking, oh man, shoulder strain. He's out for a couple of weeks or whatever. But the Cardinals actually called him day to day. And then they said they were just being cautious. Walker said on Sunday, not a big deal. He could actually return to action by the middle of this week. So certainly a scare, you know, upon initially hearing that news, especially with the way he's flown off draft boards in recent days, actually took Jordan Walker, I think it was in the 10th or the 11th round of uh, Tout Wars mixed draft last Tuesday. Because um, I'm, I'm all in at this point. <laughs> I think he's going to make the team. Uh, but certainly nice to hear it's not a big deal. Yeah, I think he's going to make the team too. And he's probably the biggest helium player of the last yep. month, the player whose ADP has just changed has skyrocketed the most because we've talked, you talked, you hinted a little bit about it earlier. And they've, there's different rules now with this. It used to be a couple of years ago. We, we'd be like, Oh yeah, we know Jordan Walker won't make the team because it's in the Cardinals best interests for him not yep. to make the team, but they've changed rules now that actually incentivizes the, if they're on the fence now, they're better off bringing up Walker or, or taking him north of the team than they would have been a few years ago, which is great. We want to see the best players. We want to – this whole dog and pony show that they put on us for such a long time, it's just so glad that it looks like they finally found a way around that because that was one of baseball's biggest problems. Let's get the best players into the show. They're ready yeah. and stop with this dance of, oh, Chris Bryant needs to learn third base for 10 more days, <laughs> and then we bring him up. And, and, and yeah. why, you wonder if that's why Chris Bryant left the Cubs, if he, he was still kind of bitter about that. I mean, uh, yeah. we'll, we'll see if Bryant actually does anything in his post-Cubs career because he hasn't yet, but we'll see about that. But I do think Walker's going to make the team. I'm a little stodgy. When it comes to buzz, I'm a little bit allergic to buzz. Once a mm -hmm. player becomes this trendy, I'm usually not the type of manager who writes the ticket, but I'm afraid that Walker could beat me too. I, he's going to hit, I think, in the middle of a very deep Cardinals lineup and – I think I think he's probably going to be rookie of the year, man. I, I as much as I love Corbin Carroll, I I think Walker can't miss, and I know he's only twenty, but I think he's going to be a star right away. And I think it's going to be one of these things we're going to be doing a future podcast, and we'll, be, we'll maybe we'll do like FOMO players, like who didn't you draft <laughs> yeah. that you wish you had in your roster. I'm going to be yeah, Jordan Walker's that guy for me. You know, when I was in the middle of Tal Wars, I, th I I actually think it was the tenth round, and I was like, you know, it's a fifteen team league, so I was kind of like he should be going soon. Like uh, that was the thought in my head. He's third base eligible as well, at least in that format. So I was like, man, third base isn't great. Like gives me some versatility between third base and the outfield. There's some power upside. There's some speed. Uh, it began to make sense for me. And I was very aggressive on prospects in that draft. 
it's a very long draft. There's a, a lot of players get taken. So uh, I did take Grayson Rodriguez later. I took Anthony Volpe, like took a shot on him late too. So, you know, I'm taking some big swings in, in Top Wars this year. I've come close to winning, but I have yet to win. This year I was like, why not? Like, worst thing happens is I don't win. So uh, willing to see what happens there with Walker. Hopefully he's okay. Uh, Kode Senga, um, another rookie in the National League. He was scratched from a start on Saturday due to discomfort at the base of his right index finger. Was later diagnosed as tendonitis in the finger. But the Mets called him day to day. And one encouraging note on Senga, he actually threw off flat ground Monday morning at Mets camp from a distance of 90 feet. Uh, wasn't throwing max effort or anything, but certainly good to see him already back throwing. And he spoke to media afterwards and said he'll, he's confident he'll be ready for the start of the season. Good to hear. But when I initially heard about this injury, I was kind of like, this might not be the end of the world for the Mets anyways, because as we talked about, uh, I think in previous episodes, or maybe it was our starting pitcher episode, Senga is not going to like make 30 starts. Like it, It's just not going to happen. So at some point, the Mets would have to build in a break for him. So let's say he did get a late start you know, a week or two, maybe that won't be the case here, but at some point during the season, the Mets are going to have to rest him. Right. Yeah. You would think load management comes with the territory coming over from the Japanese style where typically a pitcher has a day of the week that he pitches and Mm -hmm. you're the Friday starter, whatever it is. So what would you think a target, maybe 140 innings for something like that for Senga? Also the Mets, remember their roster is so deep. In baseball, there's so much striation. I think, especially in the National League, that the Mets are—they're playing. They're like the, you know, the Dodgers. You always think, well, they're playing seven months. They're already kind of planning in October, sure. in the middle of the season. I think the Mets are strong enough that they're going to be like that too. So they want Senga available for the playoffs. They want Senga yeah. available for a seven-month season. So, so what if he's not ready at the beginning of the season? Also, look, all injuries are not created equal, right? When you hear a player's hurt. You don't want anything to do with their arm, anything to do with their elbow, shoulder. That 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 stuff is all bad. Now, finger injuries can be pesky. Sometimes it can affect how you grip the curveball. Maybe you don't want to th- throw certain pitches depending on where your fingers line up on the laces. But if my player has to get hurt, a finger injury is generally something you can live with. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. No red flags with the arm to this point. So that's certainly good news and wouldn't really affect my you know, aggressiveness as far as drafting. I think he might be a tad overhyped for me just in the sense that I'm not expecting a ton of innings. So I don't think I've drafted Senga in any leagues to this point. Uh, But that's nothing personal to the player. It's just a matter of how much you'll actually get from him this season. Uh, Anthony Volpe, who I just mentioned, he's really making a push uh, to make the Yankees. I wasn't expecting that uh, this spring. I was just you know, thinking he would be stashed in AAA for a couple of months, see how he does down there, come up midsummer, something like that. But uh, he's hitting really well. Uh, hitting 320, has two homers, three doubles, OPS over 1,100 so far. Uh, really showing a good approach at the plate. And of course, the speed is amazing. Uh, he's starting at second base on Monday. I believe he started shortstop on Sunday. It was a split squad game uh, the Yankees had against the Red Sox. Uh, so I, I think he's in the mix. It's hard to say if he's the favorite at this point. Oswald Peraza is probably the front runner, uh, mostly due to his defense. Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, it seems like the Yankees are preparing him for more of a utility role. So you know, if I had to make my guess today, I'd say Peraza gets the first shot. If he really, really struggles offensively, I think Volpe comes up quickly. 
But I think the defense will be the calling card, a little bit of a stopgap option for the Yankees to start the season. But who knows? I mean, Volpe's making a really strong case. He is. And you're underscoring a reason why I've been afraid to draft into this infield. You didn't mention DJ Mayhew, who yeah. has to play somewhere. I'm yeah. just afraid that any Yankee I draft might play 130 games. Mm. Glaber Torres is not a great defender. And he's a good hitter. Glaber Torres is not – I don't want to be unfair here. He's been a decent major league player, but he's not a star. You know, he had that one superstar season, which just looks like an outlier now. Yeah. A lot of times I'm in my draft queue. It's like, oh, this is where Glaber Torres should go, and I haven't drafted him. This is mm-hmm. where DJ LeMahieu should go, and I haven't drafted him. I don't have any Peraza yet, although he's very affordable. And now Volpe is has to be seen as a threat, if not to make the team out of spring training, but to come up really quickly. And ultimately, it's going to be the Yankees have to decide – what is the balance between offense and defense? At what point do they want to get the best defensive team on the field, maybe in the infield, because they're getting enough production from the, you know, the corner spots or the you know, judges having another monster year or something like that? And they say, well, wait a minute. We, we, our pitchers are go, pulling their hair out because we don't have a good infield defense. At what point did they say, we don't care how much guys hit. We just want people who make sense on defense. So what I've done, and I'm not saying this is the right answer. It's probably a cop-out answer. I'll be very fair. I'll throw the tag on myself. I just look at this infield and I can't make any sense of it. So I'm not drafting yeah. into it. Am, am I missing an opportunity here? Do you think? I, I It just depends on where Volpe's going. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's going late enough that if it doesn't work out, you know, you could stash him. Of course, in Yahoo leagues, there's some leagues where you have the NA spot. You can stash him if he doesn't make the opening day roster. Uh, but I don't think he's going early enough. He doesn't have that helium that like a Jordan Walker has where it's not going to make or break uh, your team one way or the other. But one thing we do know is, if Volpe makes the opening day roster for the Yankees, he's going to play every day. It wouldn't make any sense for the Yankees to bring him up if he's not playing every day. I know there is a log jam there. Like you mentioned, you know, LeMahieu, Torres, Josh Donaldson's there, Anthony Rizzo, et cetera. There's lots of options in that infield, but there's no way the Yankees carry Volpe and he doesn't play every day. Totally fair. I, I, I wish he... I wish he would have hit just a little bit more at AAA last year. So I, I know. feel a little bit yeah. better about it. I mean, the 30% strikeout rate, even his double A numbers were, they were solid. They weren't, they weren't eye popping. I, I mean, I realized he was 21 years old. I wonder yeah. if maybe his relevance is, is another year away. Yeah. I mean, he, he got off to a slow start last year and we've seen that happen with, you know, some players. So the, the initial test at a level, they struggle, they adjust, they figure it out. Would that maybe be what would happen with Volpe, you know, if he makes the Yankees? That's always. You know, always a possibility. Um, one player in New York who I think is getting less hype than Anthony Volpe right now is Brett Beatty uh, with the Mets, really getting a time to shine with so many of the Mets regulars in the World Baseball Classic. Eduardo Escobar, who's the favorite to start at third base. He's with Team Venezuela in the World Baseball Classic. Meanwhile, Beatty is hitting 458, uh, has a homer, a double, a couple of steals, uh, OPS, again, north of 1,100, kind of like Volpe. Uh, you know, showing a good approach. And I think most importantly, the defense has looked better too. Uh, he worked with Troy Tulowitzki during the offseason on his defense. Uh, you know, that's the thing separating him from, you know, being ready to play in the majors every day. I think the bat is there. I think the defense is still kind of catching up a little bit. So great to see him motivated. I was actually at uh, a Mets spring training game last weekend. Beatty in batting practice was the most impressive player I saw. I mean, he was just hitting monster shots off roofs. It was just crazy. And he was the most impressive player I saw. Uh, I think he's ready to go. It's just a matter of whether the Mets want to go that way. It's it's really hard to tell right now, but I would not be shocked if 
Beatty made the opening day roster and he was the opening day third baseman. I would not be surprised. I think it's just a matter of time. If, whether it's yeah. opening day, whether it's May 1st, the Mets want their best team on the field and they don't care about the financial repercussions. I mean, Escobar's 34, age 34 season. So the, the bottom could drop out of his game. And right yeah. now he's projected to hit at the bottom of the lineup. So it's not like they have their hearts sold on Escobar. And as you talked about with Beatty, the bat's ready to go. It's just a matter of can they trust him on defense and, you know. Yeah. Don't you feel a little bit older just hearing that Troy Tulowitzki is coaching somebody? <laughs> yeah. I, I feel a little twinges when I hear that. But I know. Um, what a it star player he was for such a long time and unbelievable defensive shortstop. But uh, I'm excited to see Beatty, man. I, I he, he had a you know, the fun splash last year. He comes up. He hits a home run in front of his family and everything. Yep. Uh, you, I know you talked about uh, him at spring training putting on a show and batting practice. I think he ends up with over 400 at-bats for the Mets this year. I think he's going to find his way into this lineup. I don't know. I'm, I'm currently in a discussion. It's almost like an argument with one of my co-managers where we have an option on Alvarez, and he's trying to tell me that Alvarez will have a regular role on the Mets, and I don't see mm-hmm. it. But I think Beatty is going to play a lot for this team. Yeah, I think Alvarez has a lot more uh, to do as far as his defense behind the plate, uh, working with pitchers. And given the options the Mets have to start the year out of the DH spot and behind the plate, I think they can afford to take their time with Alvarez to see how that DH situation shakes out, especially Escobar really struggled for a good portion of last year, turned it on toward the end, which really elevated his overall counting stats, but he struggled for a good part of the year. Uh, and the Mets have talked about maybe trying Escobar in left field. So I think they're already you know, thinking ahead to, where Escobar could fit on this roster if Beatty makes the team. So just something to, to keep an eye on. And we could see Beatty's ADP creep up here in March. Uh, a couple other injury updates I wanted to mention here. Joe Musgrove, if you remember when he originally fractured his toe, I think he dropped a kettlebell on his toe in the weight room at Padres camp. We were all like, oh, you know, he's going to miss six weeks, something like that. He's certainly not going to start the season on time. But he actually threw off a mound on Saturday, hoping to face hitters in the near future, actually hopes to make his first start of the season on April 6th. I mean, sometimes you hear players and they're they're much more optimistic than, than their manager and the general manager and stuff like that. But I'm sure the Padres wouldn't have let him throw on a mound if they didn't feel like he was ready for it. So, you know, this is a pitcher in Musgrove. If you had an early draft, like we saw his ADP, fall considerably early after that and even in some salary cap mock drafts and actual drafts that i've been in i mean he could end up being a real value if this actually plays out like let's say he does you know start the season on the injured list miss 10 days whatever you're still getting 150 plus games you know you're getting most of that six months out of musgrove and he uh, to me he's a top 20 pitcher before the injury yeah i think well first of all i took him in labor a mixed league right before he got hurt. So just as all, all this news is welcome to me because I, <laughs> was, I think my second starter, I did not jump into the pitching pool as quickly as some other teams. So I need Musgrove to be good, but I'm with you. I think he's going to make 27, 28 starts easily. Maybe he gets the 30. And, and, and again, you know, if you, if you have to get hurt, at least it wasn't arm related. Sure. And as you said, you know, what the Padres are exposing him to a lot of times, it isn't so much what they say, but what they do. The fact that what they're allowing Musgrove to do, throwing off a mound, 
means they can't be that concerned about him. So right. I think he's been a screaming value for the last week or so. That's going to tidy up. His ADP will probably start to go back to where right. it belongs. But there's been a nice buying pocket for Musgrove. You can probably get in on that for a few more days. Yep. Uh, a couple more injury updates. Justin Turner had his stitches removed from his face on Sunday. Of course, he was hit in the face by a pitch. That was super scary. Uh, I think it was about a week ago. Uh, there was some initial concern about the start of the season, but fortunately no uh, concussion, anything like that, uh, no fractures in the face or anything. So now that he has the stitches out, he can resume baseball activities. Seems like he'll be ready to go for opening day. Jacob deGrom was set to make his first start of the spring on Monday, but it was in a minor league game. He's slated to pitch in a double-A game. We'll see what comes out of that. He's thrown a bunch of bullpen sessions, stuff like that, but... It seems like the side issue from earlier in camp is no longer an issue there. Uh, Harrison Bader, another Yankees uh, situation here. He's expected to miss around six weeks with his left oblique strain, which is really terrible news uh, for fantasy managers. I I saw Bader as a breakout candidate. He could still be that guy at some point this year. But uh, if you remember after the trade from the Cardinals, uh, plantar fasciitis kept him down for a really long time. Had a great run in the playoffs, showed up a ton of power. Uh, but now, you know, Aaron Judge might be in center field to start the season for the Yankees once again. Uh, so we'll see how that plays out. Um, all right, so we're going to get in this ADP stuff um, to close out the show here. Again, these are players past the top 250 on NFBC in terms of average draft position since March 1st. Uh, before we get into that, download the RotoWorld app to receive player news all season long. Stay ahead of the competition by favoriting players on your roster. Get the latest injury updates, player news, and much more delivered right to your phone. It's available in your app store today. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. So I'm going to let you start out first, Scott. We each have five players. Again, these are all players after the top 250 in terms of average draft position. So this may sound a little backwards, but the first guy I'm going to mention who is the most expensive of the five per ADP is probably the least interesting of the five players. But Brendan Donovan, um, ADP is 267 in NFPC over the last week. It's really simple for me with him. He's a position grabber. He plays three different positions in NFBC. And in Yahoo, he qualifies at first, second, shortstop, 
third base and outfield. And I, I wouldn't put it past him to get catcher eligibility during the season. <laughs> this guy plays everywhere. Yep. And I'm in a lot of formats where daily transactions or bi-weekly transactions where it's, it's just availability. You're trying to fill a roster. And Donovan's like, and again, this is not the sex. This is not a win your league pick. This is just one of those deeper league. I'm looking for playing time. I want my offense to have the most at bats. Brendan Donovan's going to qualify all over the place. I think he's going to have a semi-regular job with the Cardinals. They do have a deep roster, and it's not like he's guaranteed 600 at-bats. I think he can get to like 480 or 500, and I'm just a sucker for that position eligibility. So at pick 267, I think he's a great grab in, in, in a deeper format. 8-team, 10-team, 12-team, you may not draft him. But in those 15-team mixed leagues where playing time is so important and flexibility really has a value for you, I, I think he's a guy to earmark for the late rounds. I got him in Totworth uh, last week, which is an OBP league. Uh, he had a 394 on base percentage as a rookie, which is really impressive. He might hit near the top of the Cardinals lineup on, on some days as well. But yeah, having that multi-position eligibility just gives you so many options over the course of a season. If you know one of your regulars hits the injured list or whatever, it, it just gives you that flexibility. He's not going to be sexy in terms of home runs and stolen bases and stuff like that but sometimes just getting the at bats is a huge deal uh so I, I like that one as well i'm going to start off here with hayden westneski with the cubs rookie pitcher came over from the yankees uh in the scott efros deal last summer and right now looking like a value uh really like his stuff he hasn't allowed a run in eight and two-thirds innings this spring has 11 strikeouts uh competing for the fifth starter role right now with Adrian Sampson. Javier Assad is also in that mix. Of course, Kyle Hendricks coming back from a shoulder injury could be a little while. So Wisniewski has a chance to, to run away with a job here, really like the slider. Uh, we saw that during his brief time with the Cubs last year. Lots of horizontal movement on that pitch, but has a, has a starter's arsenal as well. Uh, Four-seamer, cutter, change-up. I like the stuff. He can hit mid-90s with the fastball with the slider. Uh, has really tried to tie up the rest of that arsenal over the past couple of seasons. And going as late as he is, 311.30, if he makes this Cubs rotation, I think he could be a sleeper. Yeah, he really looked the part late last year. Yep. And, you know, I don't I don't think it's that unreasonable to think he could be their best starter. Mm. They, they, have, they have a bunch of solid but unspectacular guys. You know, they have Jameson mm-hmm. Tyon, who could probably be their number one Strowman's on this staff, but – I was really impressed with the kid at the end of last year, and I, 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 I got to figure he's in their rotation. I can't find, I can't see five better starters than than, than yeah. Wisniewski, you know, to open the year. I think maybe they're just soft pedaling it because they don't want to put too high expectations on him, or maybe they just want to see him earn it in spring. Well, guess what? You, you, the stats you mentioned, he's earned it in my mind. I'd be flabbergasted if he's not in the rotation to begin the year, and he is definitely at the end of the draft season. I think he's going to be the Chicago pitcher that I have the most shares of. It's not even going to be close. I like it. All right, what you got next? Well, I'll stay in Chicago. Uh, I'll go to the other side of the city. Kendall Graveman. Look, it's not it's not fun to talk about. Liam Hendricks has Hodgkins. We don't know when he's going to come back. He, he's a really good guy, great pitcher, and we're all rooting for him. But somebody will have to close in the interim. And although the White Sox have not been insistent on naming somebody, and maybe it's mix and match, maybe it's a committee. You know, Graveman's made an all-star team. Graveman's pitched in high-leverage situations. He had a nice run with Houston. He obviously started his career, I think, with Oakland. But I, I got to figure he's at the front of this line. And if he gets a chance to save maybe a couple of games, maybe they, you know, most most teams, when they say committee, 
that's kind of shorthand for well, the first player who gets a couple of saves and and does the job, we'll just keep yeah. pushing that button. I I think Kendall Graven has a great chance to end up with double digit saves this year, and with an ADP outside of top of the top three hundred, man, how do you lose on that? Yeah, he has the experience too. Uh, he's a very you know respectable, reliable late game reliever has been for a few years now. I think he could run away with a chance there. Of course, pending. Uh, what happens with Liam Hendricks. Of course, we wish him all the best. Hope he comes back soon. But um, most important thing is his overall health, uh, not not baseball right now. So um, up next for me, Abisail Garcia. And certainly not on anyone's radar right now after the year that he had last year. Signed that four-year, $53 million deal with the Marlins and really fell on his face. Uh, showed up for spring, kind of out of shape, to be honest. And he's even admitted that. Uh, ended up having really an injury plague season played in only 98 games uh had a 582 ops with eight home runs but you know this is a guy two years ago had 29 home runs 820 ops eight steals and 135 games with the brewers now as opposed to last season garcia showed up to spring motivated this season lost 15 pounds during the offseason looks in great shape Granted, the Marlins ballpark, whatever they're calling it these days, is not Milwaukee. We know that. But Garcia has this big contract. He's going to play every day. We know he has some power and speed. I think he could be a value late rounds. Again, nothing sexy across the board. But someone who's going to be in the middle of the Marlins lineup, I don't think that lineup is as terrible as it looks on paper. You know, if there's Jazz Chisholm, Jorge Soler at the top leading into Garcia. Uh, so I think he could be a value here, 444.18 ADP for him. I, I think that's a steal. I think he's like the poor man's Adolis Garcia, where it, <laughs> yeah. it's going to be you're going to get category juice. He's going to play. Miami's not a sexy destination offense, but there's probably 550 at-bats here. He's still in his young 30s. Uh, I'm shocked. You know, when you were talking him up, and I was thinking, yeah, I probably don't have Garcia high enough on my board. I'm thinking, what was his ADP? Probably in the low 300s. The fact that he's outside the top 400 to That's me, just, he's mispriced. Because um, yeah. again, playing time is such a commodity, and he's going to hit some home runs. He's going to run some of the time. You know, that that in and of itself makes him rosterable, I think, in any mixed league. Yeah. I mean, maybe some of my league mates in score sheet are watching the show right now. I'm hoping not because he's on the top of my queue. We're doing a draft right now. Basically, I make like one pick a day. He's at the top of my queue because in a league like that, it's deeper. You just want the plate appearances. I, I know he's going to play every day. What you got next, Scott? Yeah, I'm going to. I mentioned a White Sox pitcher in my last one. I'm going to stick with the White Sox, and it's been a spring of, of White Sox promotion. I've been talking up Lucas Giolito and Lance Lynn <clears throat> and some of their hitters. I don't know what to make of what Elvis Andrews did with this team last year. He comes mm -hmm. over to Chicago. He plays about a quarter of a season. He hits, what, nine home runs. He goes 11 for 11 on steals after looking like his career was dead in the water. He yeah. looked like a guy, like, if he had retired, nobody would have been surprised. And he right. played great. And the White Sox said, okay, let's run this back. Let's bring you back. Well, he's going to play second base. Obviously, Tim Anderson's their shortstop. So what are you getting here? Multiple position eligibility. You might be getting, I don't know. 13 to 15 home runs, maybe 13 to 15 steals. I know at age 34, there's no floor. But, man, his ADP right now is outside the top 300. In fact, in one draft, he went in what – I forget if it was TGFBI. One, one league he went, and I forgot that he was still available mm -hmm. because I, I didn't dig deep enough into whatever the queue was to, to see that Andrews' ADP was so wackily mispriced. I 
Yeah. I think there's a decent chance that he's just not done. That what he just needed to get out of Oakland. It's a horrible hitter environment. The team is dead in the water. Maybe he just needed to kickstart his career. I I'm not saying what he did with Chicago that rate is repeatable, but if you go 11 for 11 on steals, that tells me you have the the willingness to run and the acumen to know how to do it. I I think Elvis Andrews is, is somebody. I don't. I purposely do not want to fill my middle infield slot. A lot of times, like in round 15, round 17, round 18, because I'm thinking, okay, 50 picks later, I'm going to get Elvis Andrews. And it's always nice to have that multi-position eligibility as well, just as a fallback policy. And I think in a lineup that if everyone's healthy, it has a chance to be a very good lineup. Uh, so that certainly helps his case as well. Uh, next for me is Mark Canna with the Mets. His first season with the Mets wasn't really you know, blowing anyone out of the water. Uh, counting stats-wise, even hit 266, 13 homers, 61 steals, or 61 RBIs, three steals only, 71 runs scored over 140 games. But Canna, when he reported to, to camp with the Mets this spring, noted that he had a gastritis condition, uh, which kept his body weight down last season, uh, may have impacted his strength, but he's back to full health now, feeling really, really good. And he thinks he can get back in that 20 homer range. We've seen Canna hit as many as 26 home runs in a season before. We saw him steal 12 bases in 2021. He always gets on base. He has a 374 on base percentage over the past four seasons. I think he can be, you know, a nice across the board contributor, probably not hitting high in the Mets lineup. He might hit six or seven. Maybe some days he hits second. Like, who knows? But uh, where his ADP is right now, 495.96. If you're in like a five outfielder league or an on-base percentage league, I think he makes a lot of sense. I, I totally agree. I love it. He is a boring veteran value yep. on a team that he, he's surrounded by high-priced free agents. And we talked about a couple of their prospects who get a lot of attention. There's so yep. much star power on this team. This team has such a gigantic payroll and Mark Kana is the most anonymous guy going, coming off a so-so season, but he's going to play. And I know you mentioned Escobar could get some time in left field, but I still think Canna's headed towards 550 or so at bats. He's an on-base machine, which is great because that could get him to good batting order real estate where he's priced. Again, it's for the medium in the deeper leagues. In an 8- or 10-team league, you probably wouldn't pick him up, but you can't go wrong with that. He's he's a pro who's going to play, going to get on base for one of the five best teams in baseball. I, again, I... The key with him, with a lot of these guys, and whoever you like, you know, you know, dear listener, dear viewer, whoever you like outside the top 300, make sure you have like a little piece of paper and scribble these names down. Because in your draft applet, they may be buried in the rankings. And you, again, yeah. I, I missed out on Andrews in one league because I forgot he was still available. Whoever your pet players are outside the top 300, get a little piece of paper, write them down, and just make sure you're ready to pounce on them in the late rounds. I think Ken is a great target. I'll give you another outfielder from the NL East. Look, Washington, they're a bad team. They may be the worst team in baseball, but they have to put out nine guys who hit every day like anybody else, and their lineup real estate has some value. Lane Thomas might bat leadoff for them. I think he profiles to maybe be a 17 to 20 home run guy, maybe an 8 to 12 steal guy. Batting average, I can't guarantee you're going to get that. And again, it's not a destination offense by any means, but you're getting him so late. Right now, his ADP is outside the top 300 in NFBC over the last week. So in a lot of leagues, you could probably pick him up for free. It's just... Every player batting first or second on a team should be rostered. And Lane Thomas yep. is probably going to park himself there for, I think, a majority of the season and give you some category juice. 
Yeah, I like it. 17 homers, eight steals, and 146 games last season. Had seven homers, six steals, and 77 games between the Cardinals and Nationals in 2021. I actually like Corey Dickerson in that lineup too for you know maybe half the season. You know he's playing every day for the most part. Uh, I think he could be a late round value as well. And uh, while I'm not intending to talk about this player, something I was thinking about when you were talking is look for players who are going to gain eligibility uh, early on in the season. Uh, Enrique Hernandez, Kike Hernandez with the Red Sox is a good example. As of today, he's only outfield eligible, but he's going to play shortstop for the Red Sox to open the season. So to get that added eligibility to shortstop with a player who, you know, among the outfield pool, not very exciting, but when he gets that shortstop eligibility, suddenly middle infielder, you know, you can use him there. It uh, just gives you that extra, extra flexibility. So look for players like that uh, over the course of the spring. Uh, up next for me is David Peterson with the Mets, who was very good uh, when called upon last season, had a 3.83 ERA, 126 strikeouts on 105 and two-thirds innings. Looks like maybe he could start the year in the Mets rotation. Jose Quintana uh, was diagnosed with a stress, stress fracture in his rib on his left side. Uh, Buck Showalter actually noted today that maybe Quintana could be ready for the season, but I, I, don't, I have a hard time seeing that happening, honestly. Even if it's a minor thing, Quintana's been shut down for a few days. I don't know if he's going to have to ramp things back up and how many innings he'll be ready to throw. You know, if he needs to miss a couple of weeks, you know, so be it, kind of like I was saying with Senga. Uh, Peterson was really good last season. The slider was electric. Uh, he actually had the fourth highest uh, whiff percentage on his slider last season of any pitcher. Edwin Diaz, Spencer Strider, Andres Munoz were the only three pitchers above him with that slider. So really intriguing stuff from Peterson. And even if it doesn't work out to start the year, I think he's going to pitch a lot of innings for the Mets this year. The Mets rotation is extremely old. Carlos Carrasco, uh, Max Scherzer, uh, Justin Verlander, all 34 uh, plus in that rotation. Uh, there's going to be chances for Peterson. There's going to be chances for Tyler McGill. So don't get discouraged if he doesn't get, get a spot out of the gate. I think he will. Uh, but even if eventually he bounces back to the minors, you're going to see a lot of David Peterson this year. Yeah, what would the great Ron Chandler say? Bet on skills. Yep. Not on rolls. He's also a Mets fan, by the way. So he is. Um, yes. And, and taking in a lot of spring training baseball. We, we love mm-hmm. you, Ron. We hope you're having a great time in Florida. Can't wait to see you next <laughs> week in New York. But nice. and not only that, not only are we betting on skills, not rolls, but when we're looking at pitchers who may be in a nebulous rotation or where do they slot in, your your buck is gonna go a lot further on a winning team. The Mets are gonna win ninety-five games, maybe a hundred games. You talked about the ages of that staff. It's not just that Maybe DeGrom, DeGrom, he's long gone. Not, not that Scherzer or Verlander or Coco could get hurt, but also maybe just maintenance, right? Maybe the, the, yeah. they want to keep them ready for October and they skip a start here or their load management. So you got to figure Peterson slots in here somewhere. You talked about the slider being such a plus pitch and the, the different names that he's associated with, with that high value of that pitch. I, you can't go wrong here. You're taking a, a talented arm, on a team that's going to need him at some point, and the ADP is just screaming out value. I, I'm going to try to scoop him up in all of my mixtures. I think it's a great pick. I, I know I probably have him misranked. The the pitcher I'm going to close with, I don't think he's actually as good as Peterson, but 
interesting things happens with pitchers like Cal Quantrill. I almost put Eric Lauer on this list, who's probably a little bit better than Quantrill, and he's going maybe 70 picks higher. Quantrill's outside the top 360 right now. He's outpitched his metrics the last couple of years. And what happens in smart leagues is they say, well, wait a minute. Cal Quantrill's not a mid-three, low-three ZRA guy. His ZRA should be a lot higher. So they go into the draft and say, I'm not taking that guy. I'm not being the sucker. I'm not going to pay the tax and get bitten by Cal Quantrill. And so nobody drafts him, or he goes really, really late. And I still think the Guardians have a plus defense. I still think they're a contending team. And sometimes, and I, and I realize this is no guarantee, but sometimes guys beat their metrics for reasons that maybe we haven't quantified yet. The players who have careers like that, yeah. outside what ADP is 361 right now in Quantrill, I'll take mm-hmm. the chance that he can win 11 to 14 games, have an ERA somewhere in the threes, a whip 1.23, 1.24, something like that. I think that's all attainable for him because he's been quote unquote lucky the last few years and no, nobody wants to touch him and be the sucker. I think they're giving you a nice value for the back of your staff. Yeah. And I, I think that's another key for, you know, fantasy managers to look for, uh, when evaluating maybe, you know, differences between certain pitchers is to look at the defense and the quality of defense and the chances that could work in the pitcher's favor. Uh, certainly Quantrill falls into that category. Uh, so last one for me, Spencer Steer with the Reds, who's the front runner to open uh, the season at third base there. 25 years old, was a third round pick of the Reds in, or Twins in 2019, rather, came over to the Reds in the Tyler Malley deal. Uh, last summer, and by the way, by the way, the other piece of that deal, Christian Encarnacion Strand, who is a breakout guy with the Reds this spring, could actually make the opening day roster as well. Steer not nearly getting as much hype as far as spring training performance, but uh, and he also didn't really hit much uh, in his time with the Reds last year. But he has done nothing but hit in the minors, uh, put up 23 home runs and 879 OPS over 106 games between Double A AA and Triple A last season. I love the situation there with the Reds. Uh, Encarnacion Strand was was at one time a third baseman. He's made the shift over to first base. Joey Votto coming back from injury. Not really worried about the presence of uh, Encarnacion Strand as far as uh, Steer is concerned, but you look at Steer's ADP right now, 542.84. I mean, that's nothing. That's a, that's a gimme. Uh, late in a draft, if you want to take a shot on a uh, corner infielder or utility spot. Uh, I just really like the situation and the chance for regular bats there uh, in Cincinnati. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, you know, but uh, Steer can hit and he's ready to go right now. This is probably, I've, I've said words to this effect on previous episodes. The Cincinnati Reds for a losing team is probably the most interesting destination offense that, that I, yeah. I mean, I've drafted a lot of India. I've drafted a lot of Tyler Stevenson. I've drafted a lot of Will Myers. And we know the ballpark plays, right? Other than Coors Field, it's, it's, and it may even be better than Coors Field now. It's a great place to hit. I think they have a decent lineup. It's interesting because Votto's the one guy who's probably in the way right now. And I know he's a, probably a future Hall of Famer, but I don't know how much longer he's relevant. But if Steer can, if Steer can get in the lineup, he can hit 20 home runs. 25 yeah. home runs. I think that's totally in play. And I know he may start the year batting near the bottom of the lineup. I don't think he's any guarantee to stay there. There's good hitters on the Cincinnati team. And as you said, ADP outside the top 500, this is literally, you know, when you get an IL spot to play with, this is the type of player you pick up or you're in a draft, you, you, you do a salary cap draft and you have the free, the, um, the reserve rounds where you're just picking guys. These are the type of guys you're looking for. Plausible upside, good park. He's still young. And I, I see, I think he's somebody who, 
we may look, you know, maybe a month or two in the season, like, oh, yeah, he's like still rostered in like 20, 30% of leagues. Right now, it's probably like 1%. You can go get mm-hmm. him right now. Yeah, no, I think Reds, Reds fans should be excited. I mean, the, the pipeline that they have oh, sure. of into, their, their infield prospects. Yeah. Ellie De La Cruz, you know, we'll probably see at some point this year. Noel V. Marte uh, came over in the Luis Castillo deal. I mean, it goes on and on. Edwin Arroyo, Cam Collier, uh, Matt McClain. Like, they, they are just loaded with young infielders. So, you know, they, a couple for, of studs on their staff, too, right? A couple yeah, of yeah. That we all want to draft, you know, yeah. Yeah, they're pretty fun team there. Uh, so that, I think that's all I got. Do you have another one? I think nope. we each did our five. Nope. Cool. Got cool. my five. Well, I, and you know what else? I, I also say one other thing about this. When, when you introduced this topic on the weekend and I was going through outside the top 250 and we were going to do five each, I wasn't sure how hard it would be to come up with a list. I could have done 15 of these. I was shocked I at how many players I liked outside the top 250. And this is, again, I want to encourage everybody who's getting ready for a draft that I, I know it, it's, you know, the big topic is like, oh, I got the first pick. Who am I taking? Or, you know, how quickly am I going to take my number one starter? Or when am I going to take a closer? I know, I know we're always thinking the early rounds, right? But I also want you to think backwards and think, what positions can I fill? What positions feel deep at the end of a draft? Or what players am I targeting? Again, I talked about having a list. You have like 10 or 15 of these guys who may be misranked in your applet or you meet your other Opponents aren't thinking to these guys and have that list ready, whether it's fresh in your yep. mind, it's on a piece of paper, don't let anybody be able to see it because you're going to get more of these guys than you think. And I'm surprised at how many of them I like outside the top 250 or even you were mentioning guys with ADPs in the four and five hundreds. I think you'll be surprised at how interesting the player pool is this year. You know, I'm writing up my my Tout Wars uh, draft from last week. Right now, it's going to go up on Roto World later today, which is Monday. Uh, and Shelly Bearstraight uh, actually collaborating with me on the piece because we're in the same league. But uh, I went through my team last year, what I drafted, and I actually got Stephen Kwan in the reserve rounds when he was really kind of off the radar. I mean, a lot of those reserve picks didn't work out, but that was one where it's kind of like in that. I'm not saying Spencer Steer is going to be Stephen Kwan or or whatever, but. By the end of the year, you're going to look at one of these players and be like, wow, you know, we didn't see that coming. I certainly didn't see that coming even when I took Stephen Kwan last year. But, you know, you take a chance on some of these skills and every once in a while, you know, you'll see a year later, Stephen Kwan is, you know, top 125 player and on most draft boards. So you don't need to hit on many of these for it to be worthwhile. And, and of course, right. you're going to turn over the back of your roster anyway. You're going to be aggressive mm-hmm. with that. And you know, these are not these are speculative plays, a lot of them, and you'll end up cutting them if they give you a reason to cut them and there'll be something shiny. You have to work on the new information. There's going to be another thing I like to do. I'll, I'll give you a little in-season tip. This is a relief pitcher tip. It's so simple, and it works every year. Three or four weeks into the season, just look on your waiver wire and find a couple of relievers who have like one walk and 13 strikeouts who you've never mm-hmm. heard of. And sometimes they turn into like Nick Anderson, who was like really good for a couple of years. You know, these, these guys, these relief pitchers come out of nowhere. Yep. Nobody, Paul Seawald reinvented himself a couple of years ago. And mm-hmm. you may think, oh, I remember that guy. He, he couldn't start. You know, all relievers pretty much are failed starters. Nobody comes into baseball uh, you know, with very rare exception. Houston Street was a closer in college. But Jonathan Papelbon quickly became a relief pitcher for the Red Sox. But for the most part, any pitching prospect is meant to be a starter. And the relief is the plan B. 
Mm-hmm. Just look at your waiver wire a month into the season and look at the walks and strikeouts, and you'll be able to scoop up guys because nobody's ever heard of this guy or he was terrible year, last year, year before. Maybe he's coming off Tommy John. Maybe he's changed his, his pitch mix, which they're always doing. Um, yep. th- th- every year you can find these relief heroes, and, and all you got to do is be a little bit proactive, give it a little time. Walks and strikeouts, right? You talk about what stats have meaning quickly. Walks and strikeouts stabilize very, very quickly, both for hitters and pitchers. So you, you know, about three or four weeks in is the sweet spot where you want to really start grinding those stats. That would have also gotten you to Stephen Kwan last year. I wasn't like you. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't see Kwan coming before the season. But in season, when you saw, well, this guy walks more than he strikes out, which is such a rare thing in today's game, we knew that skill would play the whole season, it did. Yep. Good stuff, Scott. We'll see you again on Wednesday. Make sure you subscribe to Circling the Bases wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, be sure to rate and review if you like what you're hearing. Make sure to follow us on Twitter if you don't already. Scott is at Scott underscore Pianowski on Twitter. I'm at DJ Short. Take care and we will see you next time. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.